I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we're talking about how politicians are trying to solve the issue of a lack of affordable housing to buy and rent. A new ranking gives us an idea of where German universities stand globally. So we'll talk about that and what it's like to study in Germany as an international student. Two German states, Bavaria and Hesse, are going to the polls soon. Today, we'll profile the state of Hesse, where Frankfurt is. Germany is getting ready to mark 33 years of reunification, but are East and West growing apart? We'll talk about a new study and hear from a researcher from the Berlin Wall Foundation. Lastly, we'll talk about some events on Reunification Day and in October. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'm in Berlin today with the local Germany editor Rachel Stern and journalist Sarah McGill. Hello to both of you. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Rach. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. And you? Pretty good. It's actually a very exciting week because we have been doing this podcast for one year. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So it's actually the first birthday of Germany in focus. So in the first year, we have had really brilliant analysis from you both and our other regular panelists, Imogen and Aaron. We've had amazing guests, including immigration, housing and politics experts. We've had a language teacher. We've had authors, German members of parliament, historians, foreign nationals living in Germany and loads more. So it's just been absolutely amazing to do this. And we've had such great feedback from our listeners. So thank you for that. And thank you, Rachel, for being an amazing host. Thank you. Yeah, I can (laughs) echo that. It's been so great being in the booth with you. Yeah, it's really been a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to ask, do you have a favourite highlight from this year? My personal highlight was our Christmas episode last year when you prepared a little quiz for me and Aaron. It was a lot of fun. I think both of us enjoyed that. Aaron also loves quizzes, so we had a lot (laughs) of fun with that. Yeah, I do remember that German citizenship quiz, which was a lot of fun. My big highlight was talking about the meaning of Freudensfreude, which was a sort of accidentally invented word that became incorporated into the German language and is the opposite of Schadensfreude, so basically taking joy and the satisfaction or um, the success of other people. And it just goes to show what a versatile language German is and how easy it is to um, invent new words. So yeah, as a language nerd, that uh, story stood out to me. Yeah, really nice. We have talked about a lot of German language and we should do more quizzes, actually. (laughs) I agree. I feel like one of my favorite moments is when we talked about Schlager music, which is that German or Northern European pop music. And when Aaron did his speech about Helena Fisher being an (laughs) icon, (laughs) that episode was in March this year. And I really enjoyed talking about German music and we must revisit that topic. Yeah, we we should play some in the booth if we have the copyright. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think we do, but we can imagine we'll sing it. the songs, you know, and give people the feeling. <laughs> I'll hold you to that, Rachel. 
So let's start off with what's been in the news. Housing is a really hot topic in Germany because it's much harder and more expensive to find a flat to rent, especially in the bigger cities. And one of the issues adding to the rental market being so in demand is that less people are buying a place because of various factors like rising interest rates. So politicians have been gathering to try and figure some of these problems out. How is that going, Rachel? Yeah, so on Monday, there was a big housing summit and it included industry leaders and politicians from all over Germany. And they had this really comprehensive package of steps, both at the individual level and for the building sector. Um, And one of the biggest measures for families was that they wanted to raise the maximum annual income limit for families to qualify for a discounted loan through the state bank KFW. And so that would be going up from the current 60,000 euros for a family of three to 90,000 euros. And they would also be raising the maximum amount available that could be given out as a loan all the way to 170 thousand euros and that would be at an annual interest rate of just half a percent, which is way lower than the normal interest rate. Why are fewer homes being built in Germany at the moment? Yeah, that's a good question, Rach, Um, especially in light of the war in Ukraine. The costs for building material have really skyrocketed. Um, It's also notoriously difficult to get a building permit. Um, You know, you can't really apply online like so many other things in Germany. So the construction sector is waiting quite a while. And also, you know, it's a double-edged sword because in Germany, um, there are so many tough standards to get these permits even approved in the first place. Um, And it continues to be made um, more strict every year. So yeah, just the bureaucracy required to process those applications and the cost of building permits have really been driving the time and the prices through the roof. And one thing I noticed is that property prices are coming down in Germany, according to recent figures. Can you tell us about that, Rachel? And is this making it easier to buy a place then? Yeah, Rach. So there actually is some light at the end of the tunnel. Housing prices fell by 9.9% in the second quarter of 2023 compared to the same period last year. And it's actually the strongest year-on-year decline since records began in 2000. And this doesn't mean that prices are anywhere near what they were in 2000. Um, The costs are still quite high. But it does mean that we're not heading towards as much of a bubble as people had feared. And um, it might be more accessible for people to actually buy a home, both in terms of the price and facing less competition to do so. Okay, so if people can afford to get a mortgage, then it's not as expensive to get a place. Exactly. And through this package, there are more loans being made available to middle income families. What is the German government doing for renters? Because most people in Germany rent, right? So Germany has one of the highest percentage of renters in all of Europe. A little bit over 50% of people rent rather than buy. And according to the current policy, landlords are not allowed to raise the rent by more than 20% over three years. But if you think about that, that can still be a lot. And so the SPD, um, the Social Democrats, are calling for landlords to still be able to bring those rents higher 
but in areas with a tight housing market, the rent increases would be limited to a maximum of 6% over a three-year period, and then the cap would only apply until the local comparative rent is reached. And the Social Democrats also want to put a cap on so-called index meter rents, which are, are rents attached to inflation, right? Yeah, exactly. Which would be a big change because people with these kinds of contracts are seeing huge rises because of inflation. Yeah, exactly. So even if the rents have to be at a comparative level, that comparative level can be pretty high, as I know from where I'm living in Berlin, Mitte. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. Germany is a popular place to study for international students. So maybe you're wondering how German universities rate compared to others in the world. Well, we actually have an idea of that thanks to a recent global ranking by the Times Higher Education. Sarah, what is the top German university according to this ranking and how does it compare with the rest of the world? Well, Rachel, the top university in Germany is the Technical University of Munich, which as a technical university specialises in subjects like computer science, chemical engineering and mathematics. A huge 36% of its student body are actually international students. Which, wow. yeah, that's it's, a lot. It's really a lot. It's the highest percentage of international students in the top 10 uh, universities ranked in the list. It's very competitive to get in there. Only 8% of applicants get accepted. So you really have to get top grades to stand a chance of getting in there. It's also 33rd place worldwide. And if you exclude the UK, it is also top of the list of European universities. So it's all round pretty good endorsement for this university. From the global rankings, the overall top spot went to Harvard University followed by MIT, Stanford, and then Oxford and Cambridge. Great. So we got to get down to Munich to study. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and how about some of the other German unis? Which ones are high on the list? So Munich is also home to the second highest ranked German uni, which is the Ludwig Maximilian University, which, unlike the technical university, offers a full range of subjects from music to meteorology, as well as a wide range of BA and MA programmes in English. It has, though, around half as many international students as the TU with only 19%. In third place on the list is Heidelberg in Baden-Württemberg, which is a beautiful medieval university comparable in aesthetics and reputation to Oxford or Cambridge. Mm -hmm. It's also one of Europe's oldest universities and it has 21% of the student body uh, are international students. As for the rest of the top 10, there are three Berlin universities on the list, the Humboldt, the Charité Medical University and the Freie Universität. There are two more unis in Baden-Württemberg, Tübingen and Freiburg. And there are two in Nordrhein-Westfalen, the Rhineland-Westphalian Technical University in Aachen and the University of Bonn. Really good to know. What would you say some of the benefits of picking Germany as a place to study abroad are? And are there any downsides? So on the benefit side, a huge plus point is the fact that studying in Germany generally comes without tuition fees, even for international students. The only exception is the state of Baden-Württemberg, where non-EU international students have to pay fees of €1,500 Euros per semester. But that is still relatively cheap compared to other countries. 
The amount of courses offered in English is also a big plus. Although it is more common to be able to do a master's in English, more and more bachelor's courses are also being offered in English now in German universities. And when it comes to the downsides, the biggest problem, like every other aspect of German life, is, you can probably guess, the bureaucracy. Of course. Yes. Last year, I spoke, in fact, we both spoke to Kumar Ashish, the chairman of Germany's Association of Foreign Students, um, who was on the podcast last year. And he told me that often students coming to Germany from outside the EU have a very nasty shock when they get confronted with the bureaucratic nightmare they have to face in Germany. Many students reported to him that non-transparent procedures and unexpected pressure from the Ausländerbehörde were making their lives a misery and that many people in his network said that they actually wished they'd gone to study somewhere else, like the US, Australia or Canada, even if they'd have to pay a lot more. Thank you for that, Sarah. Germans in two states, Hesse and Bavaria, are going to the polls on October the 8th to vote for new state parliaments. We thought we'd have a chat this week about what's going on in Hesse and we'll talk about Bavaria next week. Rachel, can you give us an idea about this state? How big is it? Who lives there? What cities are there and how many foreigners are there? So Hesse is about 21,000 square kilometers, and it has a population of 1.3 million foreign residents out of a total of 6.4 million people, so pretty sizable amount. And its biggest cities are, not surprisingly, Frankfurt, the you know financial capital of Germany, followed by its actual capital of Wiesbaden, where the state government is located, um, and then comes Kaza and Darmstadt. But it also has several medium-sized cities, which I think are well worth visiting, such as Wusserheim, which is known for its sprawling vineyards, and also the charming university city of Marburg. And I must say, I have a bit of a soft spot for the latter since I studied there briefly a decade ago. Oh, nice. So you enjoyed it. I did. I did. It's a very tale-ish city um, with several hills. Who runs the government in Hesse, the state government, and what parties typically do well there? So the state has been ruled by the Christian Democrats or the CDU for the past 24 years, and it's currently governed by a so-called Black-Green coalition, which is led by incumbent state premier Boris Rhein, um, along with the Greens as a junior partner. Are we expecting any surprises this time? Well, Rach, there's already a bit of a surprise because Germany's interior minister, Nancy Faeser of the SPD, is trying to become <laughs> prime minister of the state. Um, but it's unlikely that she's going to dethrone the CDU since the SPD is polling at around 16 percent, um, putting them at a tie with the Greens. And the CDU, on the other hand, is polling at around 30 percent. Okay, so it looks like they, it could be a similar government after the election. Yeah, parties seem pretty likely that they're going to form a partnership together. But it's interesting because the SPD does have a lot of policies as part of its election campaign, which would really impact the foreigners who are living there. So, for example, it's proposing uh, free integration and German language courses um, and also allowing non-EU citizens to vote in local or uh, communal elections after six years if they have permanent residency. 
And what are the big issues in Hesse? Yeah, as with anywhere else in Germany, one big issue is just the huge shortage of skilled workers and also housing. Great. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On October the 3rd, it will be 33 years since communist East Germany officially rejoined the Federal Republic of Germany, which was West Germany. The division started after the end of World War II, right up until the fall of the Berlin Wall on November 9th, 1989. But what does this separation and reunification mean for people's lives today? We'll hear from a researcher soon. First, let's talk about the history briefly. Rachel, can you explain what happened after the war and how Germany and Berlin got divided? So the so-called Potsdam Conference in 1945 kind of solidified tensions which were building up between the Allies during World War II. And following the conference, Germany was divided into East and West. And Berlin um, was also divided up into four occupied zones. So there was the... American, British, and French sectors, which would form West Berlin, and the Soviet sector became East Berlin. And the wall began to be built as a way to prevent people in the Soviet territory from escaping into the West. And it wasn't until August 13, 1961, that the wall was slowly built. Um, It was just kind of a thin barrier. As time went on, it turned into this massive wall of cement that had many armed guards and several people lost their lives trying to escape to the other side. And it ended up falling on November 9th, 1989. Sarah, you've been looking at a study on what people in Germany think about the way their country has evolved since the fall of the wall and then reunification around a a year later. Can you tell us about some of the findings? Yes, so this was a survey conducted by the Independent Opinion Research Institute, Forza, which looked into how united Germans feel the country is 33 years after unification. And the results are quite alarming. 60% believe that the country is more divided than united. And only 37% think that people in the former East have significantly integrated into one united nation. The perception of unity is notably worse in East Germany and the former Eastern states, where 75% feel that division still prevails in the country. Only 21% in the former East see Germany as being a unified nation. These findings mark a stark contrast to 2019 when the same study was done, uh, when the majority of people, 51%, perceived unity and only a minority, 45%, felt that the country was more divided than united. Why do you think there's been such a change in the last four years? Well, so division 
in itself is not entirely new. There was still division in 2019. But I think with the pandemic and the impact of the war in Ukraine has accelerated polarisation, not just in Germany, but it has accelerated the division between East and West. Also, some of the recent green policies, for example, the proposed changes to home heating systems have received quite a backlash from Eastern Germany. But there are a lot of factors. It's, it's very complex. But I would say these you know, crises have, have definitely pushed things forward. Yeah. Are there any other noticeable differences about East and West today? Well, I think some of the most stark contrasts are in the world of work and economics. Figures from Germany's statistical office from July this year showed that people in the former East earn approximately €13,000 less per year than those in the West, which is quite a shocking statistic. Yeah. Also, a recent study which looked into the birthplace of 3,000 people in top jobs in German society including politics, public administration, business and culture, found that West Germans still dominate top positions at the federal level. Only 13% of positions were held by people born in Eastern Germany. We have seen that the far-right alternative for Germany or AfD has been gaining ground in Eastern Germany. Why does this party seem to be doing better in the former Eastern states? Well, that's also a really interesting question. And if we look back already to 2021, the federal elections, in the federal elections, the RFD got 10.3% of the national vote, but between 18 and 25% in all the five former East German states, with Saxony being the highest with 24.6%. So there really is quite a contrast. According to one right-wing extremism expert and sociologist, Matthias Quent, the political culture in the former East is generally more conservative and therefore more open to right-wing parties compared to West Germany. He has also said that there are socio-structural reasons in the East for the strong presence of the RFD, such as, for example, when the wall came down in the 1990s, a lot of people actually left the East and moved to the West, which left behind a fairly broken society. So it's been easier for parties like the RFD to establish local roots and to build new structures. Yeah, really interesting. What is your impression from speaking to Germans about how they feel about reunification and the way things have developed? So I've talked to quite a lot of older Germans who remember being overjoyed when the wall fell and crying and hugging neighbors and um, just in general rejoicing that they would soon see family that they'd been separated from um, for such a long time. And these Germans also described just the diversity and openness of society that they would experience in the years that came. But on the other hand, I've also talked to older Germans who feel like there have been a lot more problems introduced in society that didn't previously exist. For example, just the cost of living. Um, they can no longer afford their apartments or even to pay for groceries. They didn't have the same job security that they did in the former GDR or lost the jobs that they had there that they were guaranteed. So I would say it's really a mixed bag. Having spoken to friends of mine, older friends of mine who grew up in the former East, I have the impression that it was really actually traumatic for a lot of people. Overnight, everything changed. The whole way of life disappeared um, when there were actually a lot of advantages for people living in the East. There was more job security, more of a community mindset. And yeah, to suddenly have to then integrate into a new capitalist system was, was really difficult for people. 
Yeah, I think I've heard a similar picture from people I've interviewed. And we also spoke to Katia Hoyer on the podcast last year, who wrote a book about East Germany. And she talked about the upheaval that came from when after reunification happened. So really, I think it's a it's a very complex topic for Germans, especially people who grew up in East Germany or who've come from an East German family. Because also I think younger people have um, an interesting relationship with it too, if they're, you know, if they were maybe babies when it happened. Let's hear now from Katharina Ponschab, who is a research assistant at the Stiftung Berliner Mauer or the Berlin Wall Foundation. I asked Katharina about what people in Germany feel about the division and reunification. Well, the time after 1989 was a very turbulent time in Berlin and all of Germany. And um, there was lots of freedom, new freedom, um, lots of free spaces, especially in Berlin, um, but also many upheavals and changes that basically changed society altogether. So the situations in East and West Germany were very different, obviously, but there were also differences within East or West Germany themselves that also depended on whether, for example, in East Germany, whether people were in the, in the opposition or whether they um, had uh, adopted to life in GDR and um, whether they were working. Because a lot of factories and um, a lot of businesses actually went bankrupt after the reunification and couldn't keep going on. And uh, so it all depended on whether you kept your job, where you're from, um, if you live in a city like Berlin or if you live in a very rural area. We work a lot with contemporary witnesses. So we have a lot of contact with people who experienced the Berlin Wall and, and separation in very different contexts. And that's what life is like. It's very interesting to talk to all those people. And um, actually, there will be yearly festivities in uh, uh, Hamburg next week on 3rd of October and for the reunification day. And uh, we expect to have lots of visitors on our booth there. Everyone's welcome to come <laughs> and, uh, yeah, talk to us and share their life stories and experiences and, um, with, yeah, separation, um, walls throughout the world and everything that comes along today. Sounds really interesting. And do you think Germany does enough to, to mark the history of the separation and highlight the experiences of East Germans? Yeah, enough is always a relative term. Um, it could probably always be done more to reach more people. But for example, we have a new exhibition at the East State Gallery and there we present the shared perspectives on separation and reunification. So we included East and West German perspectives on time before 1989 and um, time after. But also at the same time interviewed not only German people, but um, also migrants who came during the time of separation to work in East or West Berlin. That sounds fascinating. Do you uh, recall any experiences of migrants who came during that time? What kind of things they have talked about? Even those perspectives differ a lot from various experiences. So it's very difficult to say this is the migrant perspective. But a lot of them talked about how they experienced a lot of racism after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Like they were not first they were included into the uh, to the festivities and everyone was happy together. But they also talk about how um, quickly 
racism or racism crystallized out of it, basically. Mm-hmm. So the Berlin Wall Memorial receives visitors from Germany, Europe, and people from all over the world. Is there anything that you would say surprises visitors? Yeah, I would say that a lot of visitors are probably surprised by the radical geographical reference, meaning that everything that is talked about in the exhibition outside at the memorial or in our tours through the exhibition usually happened within a very close radius of a very few meters, really. And there are lots of visible traces and relics in the exhibition as well. And they can be seen um, while being told about the border fortifications, for example, or the uh, people who lived here before the border and whose houses were torn down. And there are no reconstructions on site. So the wall you can see there today is still the original wall as it stood there until 1989. And everything that is reconstructed is marked as such. So it's very visible what's original, what's not, and what's authentic. I read recently that there is a regular memorial service for people who died at the Berlin Wall. Can you tell me about that and how it started? Yeah, well, the memorial service in the Chapel of Reconciliation is held by volunteers who volunteer at the parish. And it is held as a way to remember the victims of the Berlin Wall and that includes that every day at noon, a biography of a one victim is read. And the idea behind that is that as long as names and biographies of the victims are being read and being heard, they won't be forgotten. That's a way to remember their lives and yeah, everything around them, really. And the chapel is obviously a Christian environment. The service itself and the, and the service is held in German language. It's always very nice to just stumble in more or less and uh, listen to it because the atmosphere is very impressive. And um, also the service is only 15 minutes long, so it's not too long, really. That's really nice. It's a really nice way to remember people. Yeah, I think so too. It also makes very clear that those victims were just normal people who um, tried to flee for very different reasons. Absolutely normal people. They weren't all in the opposition. Mm-hmm. We're just really unhappy with their normal day lives. We're going to finish off today by talking about events happening in Germany this October. Let's stick with the theme of the Tag der Deutschen Einheit or German Unity Day for a moment. Guys, German reunification, as we've been talking about, there are a lot of different feelings about how it all happened. But overall, the two countries coming together was a joyful moment for most people. How is this celebrated in Germany? So not surprisingly, every year in Berlin, there's a huge celebration. Um, There's a three-day festival right around the Brandenburg Gate, which is especially symbolic because it stood right where the wall used to, dividing east and west. And there's a huge festival with music, with food, with fireworks, and it's just a place where people come together. And then on top of that, every year there's a city around Germany which is chosen to host official celebrations. And so this year on October 2nd and 3rd, that city will be Hamburg. And so in addition to a big festival in the center of the city, there are going to be church services and also a big concert at the famous Elbphilharmonie. Really? It sounds really nice. Sarah, you've got a local event. Oh, yeah. Actually, thank you for that opportunity to plug my (laughs) own event. I'm organising 
something in my own little, I'm a member of a Verein, an association um, in a little atelier, a little space in Neukölln. So on the second... In I, Berlin. In Berlin, yes, thank you. On the second, I am hosting a pub quiz based on reunification and we will have an east-west disco after that. And then on the third, I will have a panel discussion about German integration and language followed by an open stage. So anyone in Berlin is welcome to come and join. That sounds great. We'll make sure to put a link to it as well as the other events. So there will be a, a lot of like local activities on the day, maybe in, wherever you live in Germany. Any other events you've got your eye on, Sarah, I, this month? <laughs> yeah, I will go also to probably the Festival of Lights in Berlin. That's a very nice event that happens every year when the some of the monuments are lit up at night. It's just also a nice thing to do like for an evening stroll to go and see, you know, the Berlin cityscape in a different way. Yeah. Really nice. I think the the Bremen Freimarkt sounds pretty good. I've never been to Bremen. Uh, I think we talked about it one time on the podcast. I remember we we did a deep dive on Bremen. And that's right, when they were having <laughs> local elections and we said, who is this mystery state that not so many people are following? But yeah, it's also uh, one of the few states I've never been to and would like to go sometime. Yeah, it's a city state, right? That's right, one of three city states. So the the Freimarkt is one of Germany's oldest folk festivals. It dates back to 1035. Wow. I know. It's very old. So you can expect lots of stalls, fairground rides, food and drink, like lard pastries or the German Schmalzgebäck, <laughs> which I was like, what? what is this lard pastry? This sounds pretty good. And roasted almonds as well. So that's going on from October 13th to the 29th. And I also remember, guys, we should say that remember to get your food shopping in or your groceries uh, before the third, because everything will be shut on the third, right? Yeah, make sure to avoid that big last minute hamster call for when Germans line up and think that it's the apocalypse because they can't go shopping for a day. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. It would really mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed what you've heard today. This week's panelists have been Rachel Stern and Sarah McGill. Our guest was Katarina Ponshab and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.